Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. Discussing cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film. So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question... What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got? Intro theme music. I want like 70s game show music for this one now. Yeah. When it, all I can hear is the price is right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We <laughs> should, can we get that or is that a copyright? I don't think we can get it. I'm sure it's free. Also, it's a show for old people. How would they notice? That's true. No one's listening to podcasts at that age. Or who knows? Maybe they are now. Maybe they're listening to a ton of podcasts. Or you're, you're home and you're so sick with something like the flu that you're just not <laughs> they, aware. They somehow get their podcasts on vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> no... Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, uh, everyone in between, welcome to uh, What Do You Got? This is episode 42. We keep going. The numbers it's the Jackie higher. Robinson podcast. It is, but it's, it has nothing to do with Jackie Robinson. It might have everything <laughs> to do with Jackie Robinson. We haven't told you yet. <laughs> Rob, did you make a pitch about Jackie Robinson with this article? Whoops. <laughs> You, sir, did not understand the assignment. (laughs) And the winner, Um, (laughs) instead of any of the nominees. (laughs) It's Jackie Robinson. (laughs) Um, Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, We we meant to get this one out yesterday, but, you know, the holiday got away from us. So uh, this will be uh, published uh, today, the day we are recording it, which is the 2nd of January. So first off, Happy New Year, everybody. Hope you all had a great holiday. Hope you all stayed safe and... uh, are doing your best against this unfortunate new variant that's hitting us with COVID because that's the way the world works. Um, Sad times. It is. Luckily, Rob and I were able to celebrate New Year's together and uh, our friends group uh, had a good time because we were able to everybody test before we got together and then also we wore masks to be safe. Um, We were so lucky with the testing. We really were, considering everyone was able to do it at the right after Christmas. That's pretty insane. Um, we're going to jump right into it now. Uh, this article Hell is yeah. from the New York times magazine. I will say, uh, it is about, uh, the, the, uh, amazing Randy who I had no prior knowledge of, uh, whereas I'm a Rob huge does. fan, huge fan. Um, my, my extent of this type, I, I guess I would say he's similar esque to, um, uh, the amazing Kreskin probably right, Rob. Um, right. He he was a fan of Kreskin, yeah. Was he okay? I got to meet uh Kreskin a couple years back. Uh, I think it was only like two years ago, maybe maybe three years. Now it, it had to be before COVID because he's a, an elderly man. Um, he's he's a, a very sweet man who who lives in Jersey. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, he actually gave me his card. So I'm gonna tell a quick story real quick. I, I do a lot of work for those who don't know. Uh, I do a lot of uh work as an actor uh at the Barn Theater in Montville. And um, we were doing a show called Death Trap, which I had done previously. Uh, in Death Trap, they speak of the amazing Kreskin. They talk about him in the play. And we had rumors floating around that he was actually going to come see the show. And I was like, oh, my God, that'd be so cool if he actually showed up. Uh, unfortunately, he never showed up. And I was like, all right, well, so the rumors were the rumors were false. And then a couple years later, I uh, met him at a chiller theater convention, which I go to every year, twice a year, April and October. Everybody join. Um, and I went up to him and I was like, um, Mr. Kreskin, I, I have a question for you. And I was just like, I, I do a lot of work at the barn theater. And he was like, oh, yeah, I know it. And I was like, OK, so a couple of years back, we were doing that trap and blah, 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 and told him the whole story. And I was like, is it true that you actually meant to come or was that just a rumor that someone started? And he was like, he actually said, he was like, no, I actually did mean to come, but I got busy that weekend with some family things. And I was like, oh, man, wow, that would have been awesome if you could have seen the show. He gave me his business card and was like, next time you do a show at the barn, give me a call. Whoa. So I, I still have this business card. It's 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 a it's uh, like hidden away in my uh, my journal. I have it in one of the the folders. <laughs> That's pretty sick, right? And I'm going to be auditioning for a show at the barn this month, hopefully, unless COVID shuts everything down. Since it just shut down the current run of uh, American Sun, I think is what they're doing now. 
Um, and if it does, I'm going to give that man a call. Hell yeah. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Who the um, hell is this? <laughs> I don't know who this is. Uh, he was a very sweet man, and he, uh, you know, came out to talk to me for a little while from behind the table. We, he, like, he, he hugged me. Like, it was very sweet. He's a very sweet gentleman. <laughs> um, That's great. But back to the amazing Randy, who is similar in many ways. Um. This article is from the New York Times Magazine. It is very long. I'm going to try to do my... I don't really have anything highlighted in here, so I'm going to try to just do my best to recap what we're talking about. And Rob, please jump in when you can, because... Oh, I have some I have some favorites, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so basically, the, the uh, article speaks about uh, the amazing Randy's uh, career. Now, he started out as a magician um, and a, a skeptic. Uh, so the article is actually titled the unbelievable skepticism of the amazing Randy. Basically what it boils down to is that the amazing Randy absolutely refuted any belief system in an afterlife, the paranormal, anything like that. And he ended up later on in his life. Uh, he passed away in uh, only two years ago, I think 2019 or maybe 2020. Uh, I, th- I think it was the end of 2019. Yeah. I, know, I know he made it to 92. Yeah, because this article was written in 2014, so it's uh, it's almost a decade old now. Um, but basically, what he ended up doing was he ended up offering up a million-dollar prize. It started off only as like $1,000 and $10,000 in the 70s, and it grew all the way to a million dollars by the time of uh, the, the 2000s, where he offered up that prize to anyone who could prove irrefutably of a paranormal existence or an afterlife. And all they had to do was have some way of proving, uh, uh, having evidence to prove of the possibility of an afterlife. No one ever was able to claim the prize. Now, before we get into the whole idea of is there an afterlife, is there a God, et cetera, et cetera. um, What I want to say is that I truly respect those who believe in a religion, who believe in a God, who believe in an an afterlife and a practice of, of purpose. I myself do not. I don't consider. Yeah, I, I think it's important to to, to note when when Randy doing this, it wasn't like sort of how should I put it? He he wasn't like mocking the idea or critically right. against people who think that. Really, he was exposing people who exploited people's beliefs for money. Ex- exactly. He was not saying like you believe in a god, you're an idiot. He's he's exploiting the people who say they're. Uh, we will get into talks about uh, Uri Geller. Uh, he talks about him, about people who uh, consider themselves psychics, who could talk to the beyond, help people with their you know, lost loved ones, things like that. His whole premise was to exploit those people, not exploit, to, to, to show, expose. expose those people who were exploiting others for money and, and fame. Um, so as we get into this, the, the, the million dollar challenge was a huge thing throughout, throughout his career. It, it was created by the magician in, in 2003. It started out earlier as, as something else with a, uh, a foundation. Uh, basically, uh, the challenge organizers spent weeks negotiating um, with a uh, gentleman named, I just lost the name. It was Wei Wang, I believe. Um, yes, and fine-tuning the protocol for the evening's event. So they, they, they tasked this gentleman with coming to their uh, stage to basically prove that an afterlife exists or, you know, they could show they have psychic tensions or anything like that. Um, what they did was they, they, they blindfolded nine different people who would come on stage and then place their hands in a cardboard box. From behind the curtain... Wang would transmit his energy into the box. If the subjects could successfully detect his energy on eight out of the nine occasions, the trial would confirm his psychic power. Quote, I think he'll get four or five. That's my bet. That's from Randy. <laughs> the challenge began Playing the with... <laughs> yeah. Uh, the challenge began with solemnity. <sighs> I need a coffee. You got, um, <laughs> you got this. I believe in you. <laughs> a young woman in a short black dress stood at the edge of the stage, preparing to mark down the results on a chart mounted on an easel. The first subject, a heavyset blonde woman in flip-flops, stepped up and placed her hands in the box. After two minutes, she was followed by a second woman who had a blue streak in her hair and, like the first, looked mildly non-pulsed, uh, sorry, nonplussed by the proceedings. I'm not wearing my glasses, and I also haven't had coffee yet, so I apologize in advance. No worries. Each failed to detect the mystic force, quote, which means at this point, we're done, the MC announced. With two failures in a row, it was impossible for him to succeed. The million-dollar challenge was already over. 
Stepping out from behind the curtain, Wang stood center stage, wearing an expression of numb shock like a toddler who had just dropped his ice cream in the sand. He was at a loss to explain what had gone wrong. His tests with the Paranormal Society in Boston had all succeeded. Nothing can convince him that he didn't possess supernatural powers. Quote, this energy is, a mis- is mysterious. It is not God. End quote. He said that he would be back in a year to try again. After he left the stage, Randy, who at the time was 86, uh, told me, the uh, journalist of this article who uh let's real quick grab his name uh adam higginbottom um i lost my spot that's great nope there it is okay um (laughs) randy who was 86 told me he was glad it was all over for almost 60 years he'd been offering up a cash reward to anyone who could demonstrate scientific evidence of paranormal activity and no one had ever received a single penny but he did hate to see them lose he said quote they're always rationalizing Randy told me as we walked to dinner at the Casino Steakhouse, there are always reasons prevailing why they can't do it. They call it the resilience of the duped. It's with intense regret that you watch them go down the tubes. The day before the challenge, Randy was wandering the halls of the casino, posing for snapshots, signing autographs. The convention began in 2003 in Fort Lauderdale with 150 people in attendance, including staff. This year, which would be 2014, it attracted more than 1,000 skeptics from as far as South Africa and Japan often male and middle-aged and frequently wearing ponytails or Tevas or novelty <laughs> slogan t-shirts. Um, they came to uh, genuflect before their idol, drawn by both his legendary feats as an illusionist and his renown as an icon of global skepticism. So basically what he did here was he created this entire movement of people trying to expose these type of psychics and just see if anyone can actually attest that they did something truly real. Um, uh, I might pronounce this name incorrectly, so I apologize, but uh, AJ Apaden was 25 and had come from the Indian city of Kokin. I'm going to say that's probably pronounced incorrectly as well. He was attending the conference for the second year with the help of a travel grant from the James Randi Educational Foundation, the JREF, which was established with donations from the internet pioneer Rick Adams and Johnny Carson. In addition to offering grants, they held a million dollars in bonds that backed the challenge and paid Randy's annual $200,000 salary. Raised as a Catholic, Appa then told me that he discovered Randy in 2010 when he was watching The Magician in an online TED Talk discussing homeopathy. At the time, he was a student at a Christian college struggling with his faith. Two years later, during Randy's first visit to India, he took a 13-hour bus ride across the country to see him in person, saying it literally changed my life. Uh, And it helped it explained that he now hopes to help teach skepticism in Indian schools. Um, The the, the idea of why I'm reading this portion of the article for everybody is just to kind of give a background on the work that Randy did and, and how it actually did affect multitudes of people. The article goes on to explain a little bit more about his life. He was born in 1928, and he began performing as a teenager in the 1940s, touring with a carnival and working table to table in the nightclubs of his native Toronto. He was billed originally as the great Randall, a telepath. He had a mind-reading act and also specialized in telling the future. But in 1949, he made local headlines for a trick in which he appeared to predict the outcome of the World Series a week before it happened, writing the results down, sealing it in an envelope, and giving it to a lawyer who opened and read it to the press after the series concluded. But no matter how many times he assured his audience that this stunt was a result of subterfuge and... I actually don't know what this word is, Rob. L-E-G-E-R-D-E-M-A-I-N. Ledgerman? Can you spell it again? L-E-G-E-R-D-E-M-A-I-N. AI. Legerdman. There's people listening to this right now, like <laughs> fucking idiots. Oh, Legerdman. Yeah. Uh, it's like sleight of hand. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Uh, he found that they were always believers. They came up to him in the street and asked him for stock tips. When he insisted that he was just a magician, they nodded but winked and whispered that they knew he was truly psychic. Once he understood the power he had over his audience and how easily he could exploit their beliefs in the supernatural to make money, it frightened him. Quote, to have deceived people like that, that's a terrible feeling. It's literally this man who's doing magic and just, you know, using the ropes, sleight of hands, things like that to get stuff done. And these people are like, no, he's real magic. That's a Some wizard Some people right can't there. let go of that stuff. Like, even I know. if you take them through the process. Like, I remember that story. It's similar. Harry Houdini was also a noted skeptic and a magician. Yeah. Yep. 
and he got to know Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes. Yep. <laughs> who not only believed that Houdini really did have powers, he thought Houdini was debunking people to get rid of his competition as a psychic. <laughs> Funny enough, I actually have an article on the two of them saved as a pitch uh, for down the road. Um, I've had that one in the back burner for a long time. Um, <laughs> it goes on to talk about how the Amazing Randy ended up being called the Amazing Randy uh, and turned to escapology. Uh, he was called the man no jail can hold. Uh, he broke records. Uh, he did a bunch of different things similar to Houdini, 55-minute stint encased in ice, which was now has been beaten by David Blaine for, what, up to like a d- couple days or something like that? Um, uh, I don't know. I just remember he was hospitalized because <laughs> he always is. David Blaine. <laughs> um, in 1964, as a guest on a radio talk show, he offered $1,000 of his own money in a challenge to anyone who could show scientific evidence of supernatural powers. Soon afterward, he began broadcasting his own national radio show dedicated to discussion of the paranormal. He ended up buying a house in Rumson, New Jersey, represent. Uh, He installed a sign outside that announced Randy Charlatan. He lived there alone with a pair of talking birds and a kinkajou named Sam. Although Randy had known he was gay since he was a teenager, he kept that to himself. Quote, I had to conceal it, you know. They wouldn't have had a known homosexual working in the radio station. This was a day when you had to keep it completely hidden. During the late uh, 60s and the early 70s, the popular interest in paranormal grew. There was a fascination with extrasensory perception, the Bermuda Triangle, uh, the bestsellers like Chariots of the Gods, which exclaimed Earth's ancient civilizations were visited by aliens, things of the sort. There were mystics, mind readers, psychic surgeons, everyone who tried to extract tumors from their patients using their bare hands and without leaving a mark. Randy continued his crusade. Um, basically, everyone else just kind of rolled their eyes. Penn Gillette, who hopefully everybody knows of Penn and Teller. I know Rob has seen them live. I'm still jealous. <laughs> um, a good friend of Randy's told me, why is Randy spending all this time doing this? We all know there is no ESP. It's just stupid people believe it, and that's fine. Now, again, I find this type of uh, I find this type of idea a little harsh. Um, it, it's it is, very dismissive. It is. Know. There's not like some random subclass of people that you're always better than. It's not exactly. A and a lot of it, it, a lot of it is, you know, as, as someone who has, has lost someone and as everyone else has, some people are just looking for answers and they want to find comfort in those things. So I do find it dismissive to, to be saying things such as it's just stupid people doing this, but you know, I digress. Uh, he kept up the thousand dollar challenge. He eventually, eventually increased it to $10,000, but he found few takers. Now, this is the part of the story where I'm very interested in, and I actually ended up watching this uh, performance, if you will, uh, on YouTube right after reading the article. Uh, In 1973, he met the nemesis who would define his struggle, Uri Geller, who had recently arrived in the United States from Israel. (laughs) Geller was a charismatic 26-year-old former paratrooper who performed mind-reading feats similar to those with which Randy baffled audiences as a young mentalist. But Geller said that his powers were real and also claimed to have psychokinetic abilities. He could bend spoons, he said, only using his mind. He supposed uh, gifts were studied excuse me, his supposed gifts were studied by a pair of parapsychology researchers at Stanford Research Institute, who were persuaded that some of them, at least, were genuine. Randy told me that he met Geller soon afterwards, quote, very flamboyant, very charming, likable, beautiful, affectionate, genuine, forward-going, handsome, everything. His manner, Randy explained, was the key to the techniques employed by Geller and others like him. That's why they call him, that's why they call them con men, because they gain the confidence of the victims and they can't uh, and then they fool them. Geller provided Randy with an arch, ne- arch enemy in a show business battle royale pitting science against faith, skepticism against belief. Their vendetta would endure for decades and bring them both international celebrity. Recognizing that the psychic's paranormal feats were a result of conjuring tricks, directing attention elsewhere while he bends spoons using brute force, peeking through his fingers during mind reading stunts, Randy helped Time Magazine with an expose of Geller. So he goes on to really try to expose who he is. Then Geller was invited to appear on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. The producers approached approached Randy, who had been a frequent guest, to help them ensure that Geller could employ no tricks during his appearance. Randy gave Carson's prop men advice on how to prepare for the taping. The result was a legendary emulation in which Geller offered up flustering excuses to his host as his abilities failed him again and again. <laughs> yeah, Johnny had been a, magi- a magician himself, so he was he was definitely prepared for this. <laughs> yes, and 
Uh, first off, Johnny Carson is the greatest late night show host we've ever had in the history of television. Um, secondly, the, you can watch the whole uh, episode on uh, YouTube. All I did was search Uri Geller, uh, Uri Geller uh, uh, Johnny Carson. Um, yep. You can watch the whole episode. It, it was in 1973, I believe it said. Um, and throughout the whole thing, you can see that obviously Carson is skeptic, right? But he doesn't, he 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 plays it so well where he doesn't just poke fun at Geller with what he's Very doing. Very light touch. Finesse, you know, he, he wasn't there to just poke fun at Geller for what he was doing. He He let him try to do his thing and he, you know, the thing about Carson that's always been great for those who haven't ever watched him or do, who don't know much about him, um, he really was a fantastic interviewer. You got a lot of people these days, Jimmy Fallon obviously comes to mind, who their kind of shtick is that they kind of interrupt their, audio, uh, their, uh, their, what's the word I'm looking for, Rob? Yes. <laughs> their guests. Thank you. Yeah. They Kimmel, kind of, Kimmel's the worst at, at, at that in particular. It's always got to be him. Yeah, and and again, don't get me wrong. I love Kimmel. I love Fallon. I think they're fun, but they, they it's kind of the way that the talk show has gone, the the late night talk show has gone, where it's kind of a one upsmanship. And Carson was never that way. Carson was always there to give the stage to his guests, and I always appreciated that. Um, uh, so it it goes on to say that uh, you know he he was obviously distraught that he was unable to do his thing and he made up excuses throughout there. Um, But he said, I sat there for 22 minutes humiliated. I went back to my hotel devastated. I was about to pack up the next day and go back to Tel Aviv. I thought that's it. I'm destroyed. But to Geller's astonishment, he was actually immediately booked on the Merv Griffin show. This actually helped his career. People wanted to see more of it. That Carson show made Uri Geller Uh, to an enthusiastically trusting public. His failure only made his gift seem more real, which I just don't understand. (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, people you go to you go to Yankee Stadium and Mickey Mantle strikes out through, you know, three times and he hits one home run. Yeah, the way people think. Yeah, exactly. Um, It was at that point that Randy decided Geller must be stopped. So he approached Ray Hyman, (laughs) a psychologist who had been observing the tests of Geller's ability at Stanford and thought them slipshod and suggested they create an organization dedicated to combating pseudoscience. This is when he got together with people uh, like Martin Gardner of the Scientific American Columnist. Uh, They created basically the JREF. Um, As he continued through this throughout his career, it was basically just that. His goal was to expose people who were, uh, you know, um, trying to prove that the paranormal and this type of psychic technique was in existence, which, again, as I said earlier, spoiler alert, no one ever proved it. No one ever claimed that prize. I'm sorry, guys. It's not. (laughs) X-Men is cool. It's not. (laughs) the uh, the article goes on a little bit more to explain about uh, Randy's life, um, his his longtime partner, um, Jose. Uh, I'm losing where his name is. Oh, my oh, uh, that's uh, Jose Alvarez. Jose, Al- Jose Alvarez. Thank yeah, you. Uh, the, the article goes on to talk about their life together. They they were together for like. 30 years or something like that. They continues. Yeah. It continues to go on to the fact that, uh, Jose, uh, was in the United States under, uh, basically a false documented, um, identity, uh, because he was fleeing from his home country. Um, and they got split up for a little while. He had to be taken by, I don't know if it was ice at the time, but whatever company or government branch ice was back in the, uh, yeah, I think it was, uh, borders and customs, probably. Yeah, something like that. Uh, but it goes on about that. And, and basically, the article just continues to, to tell about Randy's life and how he continued the search to find someone who could prove that the psychics were real and things like that. Obviously, he never did. Uh, and that's that's kind of the article. I'm going to toss it over to Rob real quick. If there's anything you wanted to add that I didn't touch upon. Again, this I mean, is a I very mean, long article. So. Yeah, the, the Yuri Geller stuff is is obviously really like, you know, the... The Superman and Lex Luthor of right. life. Uh, probably, though, my, my favorite thing he did, because uh, more than people who present themselves as having psychic powers, uh, the people on this earth who present themselves uh, as being men of God who can heal you by touching you, or God is telling them what's wrong in your life and they can fix it, are mm-hmm. people I absolutely loathe uh, and I think are the worst of the worst. There yeah, because they're, they're praying. They're, yeah, yes. they're, they're praying on 
weakened people who are just looking yeah. for an answer. There was a televangelist in the 80s uh, named Peter Popoff, um, whose big thing was he would point out people in the audience, tell them where they were from and like what was wrong with them, diabetes, they couldn't walk, uh, whatever, and uh, lay his hands on them and he's going to drive the devil out from you and you're going to be healed, get up and walk, all these different things. And people were coming to these in droves. It's how does he know? How is he doing this? Uh, look, that guy's walking. So Randy and his team secretly went to one of these big like revival meetings. Mm -hmm. And Randy immediately was like, I think I know what's happening here. So they brought radio equipment. Were they all plants? Um, no, no. What happened was at the beginning of these things, his wife and his team would go around. This guy, Peter, pop up. And they go, hey, fill out these. Uh, these are prayer cards. We're going to we, we fill them out. And we put them and we put them in this big thing in the back. And, you know, that's, you know, we're just writing out our prayers. That's a thing that happens at churches sometimes. Mm -hmm. But then she would take all these things in the back and she'd talk into Peter Popov's earpiece. And she said, there's a woman in a red dress whose father passed away. Uh, point her out. Yeah. And, and you can hear he went on the Tonight Show again, Randy, and he, he dubbed this audio over the meeting. And you can hear the woman talking wow. to him as he's doing these like, hey, Petey, if you can't hear me, you're in trouble. <laughs> like this, this fellow's you know, having problems with his liver so they, and uh, absolutely destroyed this guy for a while but now he's back selling miracle spring water fuck you Peter Popoff oh my god he's still around Jesus yep still Christ. around and doing that bullshit <laughs> um, that's, that's one of my favorites because it's probably the most embarrassing <laughs> and somehow he's still around that's really messed up yep people forget the 80s i guess um yeah yeah that's that's kind of the idea of what uh the amazing randy did throughout his life and uh what this article is based on and what we're going to be trying to pitch into a film today so now that we've covered uh the life of james randy uh one of my favorite magicians and skeptics nick what do you got okay so uh my film is titled live exclamation point one night only <laughs> the exclamation point is important as was it in the last episode <laughs> <laughs> um basically i this is such an interesting story because it's so i i i had just recently watched uh don't look up on netflix the adam mckay movie i don't know if you saw it yet rob yeah i just watched it this weekend okay uh it's it's fantastically beautiful satire um and and this felt a little similar to me so i actually didn't want to steer too far off of the path of what this uh article is about um so I'm curious to see what you pitch because I'm I I don't know if you stayed to the the the, the outline of it or not. Uh, but basically, my my film is the idea of a con man magician who is duping people throughout his entire career, uh, and he ends up having a uh, an enemy similar to Uri Geller for Randy, um, who basically tries to tries to show his uh the ways he's faking everything throughout the decades but he never can um and throughout you know 40 my 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 film spans from 19 excuse me 1979 to 2016 is the uh -huh. span of my film um and basically what it is is the other person the other magician trying to show that he, the, our main character is a con man throughout these 40 so years and can never do it. The <laughs> twist at the end is that the other man is actually a partner of his and they were con men together. But my film uh... takes place in four parts and each part is told through a Johnny Carson like appearance on the late show. Okay. Um, or the tonight show is Carson's. Um, basically part one is 1979, the beginning of his career. We start off in the it's not it's not Carson. It's another person that's playing a Carson type character. Um, we start off with um, the first appearance on let's just call it The Tonight Show because I'm not coming up with a name right now. Yeah, fuck it. Um, they start off with his first appearance on The Tonight Show. Part two takes place in 1991 at the height of his fame after him and his arch enemy have been, you know, butting heads in newspapers for nearly a decade, I would say. Part three is 2004, which is the beginning of his downfall. So at some point, we're going to find maybe someone who can actually approach them and realize their uh, their faked ways. And then part four is in 2016, which is his last appearance before he passes. So the movie is told through the Tonight Show appearances with cuts between of different scenes, obviously. Um, 
my it is meant to be full satire um and again that's because how good don't look up was i very much enjoyed it (laughs) but it also reminded me of the movie with john malkovich the great buck howard which is about the amazing kreskin um with colin hanks um that's also a very good film if anyone hasn't seen it uh, it's basically just a retelling of really under the radar it did um it's basically just a retelling of kreskin's life or career, I should say, not his life. Um, but anyway, that's that's the idea for my film. It's told in parts through the uh, Tonight Show appearances, which is why it's called Live One Night Only, because that's a joke to the fact that it's not one night only. He's there multiple times throughout the decades. Just going to show that everything is a lie. Um, that's basically the premise I'm going with here. My director of choice is uh, Don't Look Up's own Aaron Sorkin. Okay. Um, because of Don't Look Up, basically. And of course, I absolutely adore Sorkin. I'm a huge West Wing fan, a huge Newsroom fan, all of his films as well. Uh, My cast consists of Adrian Brody as my main magician. The gentleman who plays his arch enemy, who is actually his con man partner, uh, to be played by Ben Wishaw. My Johnny Carson-like character is going to be played by Stephen Graham, um, who most people may know from a lot of Guy Ritchie movies. Uh, He was in Snatch. He's uh, Boardwalk Empire. Boardwalk, yes, Boardwalk Empire was one of his big shows. Um, and then I have a publicist character as well, played by Rashida Jones. So Ooh. it's the four of them. The publicist kind of follows them throughout his career. And I think she's kind of the one that starts catching on that Ben Wishaw's character might actually be involved with him in some way, as opposed uh-huh. to just trying to prove his falsities. That's a word I just made up. Um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much my pitch. It's it's the it's a forty year span of a career of two con men duping the public. That's that's basically it. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so I, I I guess how how does the uh, the question I had is if I'm tracking it, how does his partner? How do they profit from him being exposed, or or is he not supposed to be exposed? I don't <coughs> I don't think he's exposed. Until the end of part three, which is, quote unquote, the beginning of the downfall. Um, <clears throat> at that so that's point, not part of the con. Correct. Correct. To do that. OK, he is going to be exposed. It's not they expose him and okay. hope for the best. Um, I think it's yeah, he's going to be exposed. And then part three and part four is kind of their way of it's basically the climax when they re- when the public realizes that Ben Wishaw's character is actually in cahoots. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically the rest of the movie is them trying to regain their status. And uh. since it's, a, since it's a satire, they do, um, they easily get back in the public's eye as a good, uh, stand in a good standing and everyone else like Rashida Jones's character is like, and, and Stephen Graham as my Carson esque character has to be an absolute satire as well. Like he's just like, I oh, know I want him back on the show. I want him back on the show. This is going to be great. This is going to be great. And Rashida Jones is basically the one that's just like, what, what, what aren't people understanding here? It's all a lie. But people are, even after he's been exposed, people are somehow still believing it. Yep. Yep. I love that. Um, that is my pitch. And now Rob, I would love to know, what do you got? Uh, so the name of my pitch is Smoke and Mirrors. Uh, it's a film I would have directed by Alejandro Iñárritu. Ooh. Uh, and my cast uh, is what I call the three Williams. Uh, William Jackson Harper, Bill Hader, and Bill Camp. Not not, not Sean William Scott. <laughs> no, it breaks up the, <laughs> the flow. Uh, I swear I didn't intend to choose three people whose first names were William or variations thereof. It just happens. <laughs> Uh, and I like those people. Now, basically, uh, what I'm doing here is uh, following William Jackson Harper as our lead uh, character who is an illusionist uh, and skeptic. For, for uh, those who might not know William Jackson Harper, he's cheaty from The Good Place. He's also in Midsummer and yes, uh, a couple upcoming things as well. I love him so much. He's fantastic. Um, he is best friends uh, with Bill Hader from their college days. In real life, or is this your movie? In the movie, in the movie. Oh, I was gonna say, I was like, I think Bill Hader's a lot older than William. Jackson. I mean, uh, 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 Harper is older than I thought he was. He's forty-one. Is he really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, keeping it tight. 
So uh, <laughs> uh, they've been best friends since college days. Uh, and Bill is, for lack of a better word, uh, dumb as shit sauce. <laughs> um, but very popular. He's just a very charismatic and genial guy. Okay. Um, a mutual mentor of theirs is Bill Camp, uh, who's a professor at the college, uh, who is a retired figure. Uh, you brought up Amazing Kreskin a lot. I did base him on the Amazing Kreskin. He's a, okay. a figure who had that kind of career uh, and taught at their college as a mentor figure. Uh, I love Bill Camp. If you guys aren't familiar with him, he's a character actor. Probably the biggest thing recently that he was in was as the uh, custodian who teaches on Teller Joy how to play chess in The Queen's Gambit. I haven't watched that yet. Yeah, he's also in uh, Birdman, which is fantastic, and 12 Years a Slave as uh, one of the nastiest slave owners. Yeah, oh boy. Uh, he's a fantastic character actor, a titan of the New York theater scene. Uh, let, so, let, me, let me let me rephrase what I just said. All slave owners are nasty. I feel like I should preface that. Yes. <laughs> he was one of the we, bad ones. <laughs> yeah, the fact that we have described him as being particularly nasty should inform <laughs> you then that, oh boy. Um, <laughs> So uh, kind of the reason I went with Inuritu as my director of choice, I, I loved that style of Birdman of, of making it seem like the whole movie across this, I think one week period uh, is one shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't want to do something like that. I was trying to think of a way to ape more of those sections of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. where okay. we move through different time periods seamlessly, sometimes okay. in the same room. Uh which they notably ran Jim Carrey to the point of exhaustion doing that. And this movie's movie quick changes. <laughs> um, but I, I want it to primarily take place during a political rally. And when we do flashback to the college days or other things that have happened, uh, we remain in that space, but we, we do rotate and, and change time uh, within that space to, to hmm. convey it in that same way that uh, eternal sunshine did. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen Eternal Sunshine since like 2006 or something. Yeah. Well, I, I guess just to make sure that, that that's visible, uh, visually coming across, mm-hmm. uh, there's a scene, you know, Jim Carrey's memories are being erased and he's kind of like watching this as a third party and the camera rotates from him and we go to the other side of the room and he's watching, you know, a scene from his past and Jim right. Carrey had to run around back of the camera, quick change and do that scene. And it's seamless and beautiful. Um, so that's the structure I was going for. Essentially, William Jackson Harper is running Bill Hader for high political office uh, because he knows he can. There's a huge spider right by my feet. Get oh, out of no. here. Oh, no, Rob. Oh, Are my you okay? God. Oh, my God. Please, It's not moving, and I'm throwing shit at it. Get out of here. For anyone who doesn't know, Rob is Get deathly it. afraid of spiders. <laughs> Where did he go? Okay. I think we're going to be fine. I think we're going to be fine. I'm just going to stay right here. <laughs> We're just going to start hearing some Blair Witch sounds and then the mic drop and I'm not going to have yeah. Rob anymore. I think I beat it to death with a dog toy. Anyway. <laughs> Poor spider. Uh, yeah. Oh, God, it was huge, Nick. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's running Bill Hader for political office because he is that kind of genial personality. Um, and he knows he can. And he's using basically illusionist tricks and um, not mind reading, but, you know, the, the way illusionists know how people's minds work, sure. uh, manipulating it that way. A lot of, uh, like, body language reading and stuff like yes, that, too. Yes, yes, yes. Um, to really do the the selling uh, that's necessary to become a high political figure. In fact, part of the way through the movie, he realizes a really good way to do that, as James Randi realized, was to just be open about the fact that it's not real mm-hmm. and just let people not believe it. And have him during a speech be like, you know, yeah, this is, I don't actually have any political opinions. I don't have any policies. This is all smoke and mirrors. This my is Bill backst- saying this? Yeah. Or, okay. Uh, this is Bill Hader. You know, my friend is puppeteering me. He's the smart one. And people love that speech because it makes him seem humble. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so it backfires in that same way that people were like, oh, yeah, sure. Hey, what are my stock tips there, Randy? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, that's that's the course of it for me. I like it because I also like the idea of maybe Bill Hader kind of going a little bit insane towards the end of it <laughs> where he just doesn't want anything to do with it. And he's like, they, 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 they won't listen to me. No, I'm sorry. They are listening to me. And that's the problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like Harper won't let it go. So he changes the campaign slogan to don't vote for me yeah. because he knows people hate being told what to do. It's very, <laughs> it's very interesting because you can really make William Jackson Harper 
a, a real villain in it. Um, you can kind of have him just continually mold Hader's character like putty and do whatever he wants with him. You know, mm-hmm. have you watched it? No, you don't have Apple TV, right? Right. Um, I, I sign into it sometimes on a friend's account. Have you have you watched The Shrink Next Door yet? I have not, no. Okay, it's f- absolutely fantastic. It's a miniseries of Paul Rudd and, and Will Ferrell. Do you know about it? Oh, yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so it's a true story for anyone listening. It's a true story about a gentleman who was... Um, um, he was a... Uh, what's the word? Fabric. He owned like a fabric business in like the 70s mm-hmm. and 80s. He starts going to a uh, shrink who basically takes over his entire life tells him what to do because he's a pushover and start, he moves into his house. He takes all his money, things like that. It's fantastic. But we can do something similar like that with William Jackson Harper, where he's much more evil than you think, but with the satire, yeah. you can get away with it being a little bit more simple. You know what I mean? Oh, not, yeah, but- not as like in your face horns and, and fangs <laughs> evil. Exactly. I, I have such like a, a rosy hundred percent positive, view of james randy that i wanted to try and you know get away from that and weaponize the abilities of an illusionist so that's yeah. where i was going um i like it and i think there's some really great ways that we can push these two ideas together because we can take your premise that's fine my premise is the article um but what we can do is instead of making them political rallies what if we just do them on talk shows it's it's you know it's 2022 politicians are going on talk shows now to talk to people not not rallies anymore yeah you know they're going on to kimmel and fallon and all that just so that they can talk about their things and uh you got william jackson harper behind the curtain you know with a headset on trying to like make he he looks like he's no attention to the man behind the curtain exactly exactly um i like it let's let's go down this road we can still keep kind of a an interesting sort of theming for the setting with that of, of going on shows and, and doing speeches and, and mm-hmm. doing these interviews. Uh, we can still make effective use of the space and continually having them go from the interview to a green room. And it's the same green room every time, but we walk back out into a different studio space. Ooh, I love that. So it's a different, it's a different late show every time. Yeah. But we can have the, you know what we could do? We could literally have the whole film take place there. Mm hmm. So in, I'm trying to think of how we get away with not like cutting to other scenes and settings. Um, I think you might have the idea better than I because of your imagery. Um, but how do we set it so that it all takes place in this one studio, even though we're switching studios, uh, but like we take place in this green room in this building? Yeah. Well, we have to hire a really good crew. <laughs> well, that's why we got in Yuritu. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Between the Revenant and Birdman, he can make this happen. Yeah, I mean, uh, he'll... setting wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh... with with those things, he'll obviously um, he'll obviously bring along uh, Emmanuel Lubuski. You know, his DP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think. Like, you know, I I don't think it would be terribly difficult to just go back and forth between two locations you know the green room in its hallway and then just very different studio spaces but you know because i always find backstage at at television no matter where i've worked it's always it always looks pretty much the same yeah it's always like a black box yeah because like i don't know for some reason like people who who run television departments they always like go to each other's place to visit and they go oh i like this i'm gonna do it here (laughs) and like the whole television looks completely homogenous to me now everybody's on an open edit floor i hate it (laughs) i think the the way we ground it a little bit more so that it's not just people going well i don't believe this and us saying well it's satire you don't have to believe it wait we obviously we don't make him president we don't make him running for president right maybe governor Yeah, people always do Senate. Governor's yeah, a good governor one. or Senate. Yeah, but yeah, we can do governor. Um, I'm trying to think of like what, like a small, a swing state probably because we wanted to have some gravitas to it, but not like be New York. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's not New York, California, or like so, Massachusetts. How about Iowa? I'm good with Iowa. Iowa is always like you know one of the major focuses of of the uh election campaigning seasons yeah i was i was gonna say colorado 
but just for the fact of weed. <laughs> um, I think Io is good. That so could we be have a joke in the movie. Why can't you run me for Colorado? <laughs> That's a Bill Hader joke right there. Yeah. Um, we do that. We have, uh, you know, they went to I- uh, Iowa State University. Yeah. Uh, the two of them. And that's where uh, Bill Camp uh, teaches. What does Bill Camp teach in your film? Do you have any idea or did you not? Um, I was thinking philosophy. Okay. Okay. How do we, so if, okay. So if we're going to place this film in, let's say a green room and, and studios for talk shows, uh, how do we, how do we conference him in his character? Um, I think. Cause actually, you know, let me ask you this first. Are we starting in the green room? And then maybe yes. working our way back to the beginning. Okay. So we are starting. We're staying there the whole time. This is going to be our uh, our um, Collier brothers. Yeah. The timeline is a little bit fluid. Okay. Okay. Like we can be in the green room and. If anyone heard that, that was my cat. <laughs> like slowly rotate the camera from the two of them talking in the green room. Like we can set traffic behind us to rotate and have it be Bill Camp's office hours at mm-hmm. college. Because mm-hmm. it's just a room. Like once you once you get over the fact that a room is just the way you dress it, you can use it for anything. I actually really like that. Basically, the the green room almost acts as like a portal. Yep. For the for the rest of the set, so we have them using that as a transition period to different. Okay, so let's see. It's a political rally, so it's not like my movie where it's taking decades. Because obviously, it's it's throughout a um a, a political race a campaign yeah. race so we don't need to do much and i think especially because politicians always wear the same fucking outfits yep all we do is just change the tie it's uh i don't know why it's the uniform nowadays but it's a very neutral blue suit mm-hmm. your white shirt and, and then either it, a red if, or blue if tie. you're feeling bold it's a red tie that has stripes now <laughs> that's as far as you go yeah now the other question becomes what is he running as? You know, let's not say. Okay. Okay. We have it that it's not even actually divulged. Mm-hmm. I like that, actually. I, th- I, I we- think part of the trick of the mind of it is that, you know, it has to be such an appealing, such an appealing trick that people want to believe that it, it appeals to everyone in some way. Yeah. And I, so think, I don't think we should be too conservative or liberal with it. I think the best part about it is that we make we make hints at lines of both sides of the fence. Yeah. Like people think they know now and then all of a sudden we completely change it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For the audience. That's great. Um, okay. So we're going to keep, we have, we, we, we both chose small cast so we can keep yeah. basically everyone. Yeah. Like you had a publicist that where you had, you had a, a, a major Jones. host. Like, you know, that's going to be the really, the, the crux of the film is, you know, the tonight show interview. Yeah. That's because, the you know, one that like does him up. Yeah, like look what it did for Trump. Thanks, Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we keep William Jackson Harper, Bill Hader, Bill Camp. We keep Rashida Jones, Stephen Graham, um, and I. Yeah, who else was in Ad- your cast? Adrian Adrian Brody and Ben Wishaw. Adrian Brody doesn't fit, mm-hmm. but I think Ben Wishaw can if we put him in some type of role. We keep Rashida Jones as a publicist. That's fine. She's a she's a political correspondent now. You know, she's not a we, publicist. Yeah, we could use. We could Ooh, use what ben if Rashida Wishaw. Jones and Ben Wishaw are both the political correspondents? They're like the like two that. people on CNN or whatever channel network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that works great. Yeah, because we can even have them. They're like uh, their corner of their channel or something playing on the TV in the green room. That's yes, how we like get introduced yes, to them or something. And that's like, we can use them as a. Not an audience surrogate, but it's how we know everything is working. Mm-hmm. Like that's the constant barometer of how the campaign is going. I was just going to say they're the barometer, they're the pulse of it. When you and I get on the same vibe, we get on the same vibe. That's why we have a <laughs> damn podcast together, bro. <laughs> what other two white guys have podcasts? I mean, come on. I don't know. I feel like it happens more in threes. <laughs> like there's, a tr- there's a trio of failed stand-ups just hanging out. <laughs> We we represent part of that. Um, <laughs> uh, I think we keep the title "Smoke and Mirrors." I think that's good. What was your title? Uh, live one night only, so it doesn't really. Well, I don't know. I mean, the the premise of my title was that it's a lie because mm-hmm. it's not one night only. Um, <laughs> that was that's the idea. That was the idea behind it as a satire. Mm-hmm. Um, "Smoke and Mirrors" works though. 
I think we stick with smoke and mirrors. Okay. Unless uh, we have any dark horse ideas at the last minute. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep an eye out, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. So, okay. So we, we transition through the green room throughout this film. What is our, what is our catalyst? What is the time? What is the moment where a bill hater either snaps and loses it or Mm -hmm. decides, fuck it. I'm going to go full force into this. Huh? Probably we want to, hmm, if we're having him do some kind of a realization, it would probably be one of the flashbacks. And maybe Bill Camp says something that seems innocuous and kind of like suddenly opens up his mind to what Harper is doing. Um, okay. About like, about like the, na- he could just say something very profound, but quiet about the nature of the human mind. And it, it, it makes it makes Hater realize that he's not an equal participant in this. He's essentially he's you know, he's not even like a showgirl helping out with the magician's act. He's a puppet. Mm. Um, and it, it's got to be like something philosophical that I think Camp would say to them. OK, OK. I'm so sure. but what, what direction is he going with it? Uh, that's the problem I'm having. <laughs> OK, um, I would say he snaps and loses it and just decides I'm going to go whatever, whatever uh-huh. William Jackson Harper's character says to me, I'm just going to nod and smile. I'm just going to yeah. nod and smile. That's all I am. I'm just a face. That's all they want. Yeah. Um, if you're not, hmm, uh, how, how would I put it? If you're not looking for the mirror, you're not going to see it. Even if I'm holding it up to you. Okay. Yeah. I try to think of lines. You know what I mean. <laughs> um, the, the only the other idea I had for title was just swing vote. That was the only other thing I can think of. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that might actually be taken. Oh really? Yeah. What I is think. my God? Why, dude? Why am I forgetting words so much today? What is it <laughs> called when someone in the Senate basically holds up the whole thing by just filibuster filibuster thank you yeah that's too too choppy of a word i was gonna say gerrymandering and i was like that's not right (laughs) (laughs) yes swing vote it's a kevin cosner movie i knew it (laughs) oh okay kevin cosner or kevin costner costner okay because there is a kevin cosner isn't there yeah i think brooklyn 99 oh (laughs) you're right (laughs) that's mark uh mark evan jackson's mark evan jackson (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe it's his movie um <laughs> god i'm out of it today all right <laughs> um, smoke and mirrors um oh dude i see the poster right now it's it's bill Hader looking into a mirror and behind him is a fog smoke and it's uh-huh. william jackson harper but he's clearer than bill Hader is Ooh, i like that he's, yeah. he's more in focus in the background mm-hmm that's smart. His, He's such his, a smart boy. <laughs> his tie's all disheveled. He's looking, you know, down. <laughs> it's like, what's the, the the poster for the Steve Carell movie, Dan in Real Life? Isn't that yeah, like, he's kind of just yeah. sitting there like, <laughs> it's one of those type of posters. Very, very it. mid-2000s. I like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, what else? Well, I mean, we're, we're running long on this one just because we spent so much time on the article for obvious reasons. Um, we have our movie. We have, oh, let's, we'll keep Inuritu as our director. Okay. Um, I have no idea how to spell his name. I'm going to do this, which is just going to be in Rutu. That's good enough for me. Um, for the for the end of the movie, mm-hmm. I'm trying to I'm tracking it in my head. And I think they walk out of the green room. And they're walking down the hallway and it's it, we're shooting them from behind. And they go through the doors and it's very bright light. And this is the one time in the movie where now it's a, like a political rally and we hear the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, chanting and William Jackson Harper uh, this is now like this This might be the acceptance speech okay uh, and he's about to walk through the door with Hader and Hader just kind of puts his hand out on his chest and then walks through alone mm. I like that so the only thing I was thinking was do we show if he wins or loses I think he should win you yeah. think he should win yeah I, I guess for satire he should right because yeah it's showing how broken and flawed the system is. Excuse me. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. He kind of just puts his hand over him. So he walks out alone. Yeah. 
into just this glaring light <laughs> of a well-lit stage. That's so good. It's like the moment in uh, the Steve Jobs movie with Fassbender. I think that isn't that the you ending. Know, I've I think? never actually I've never actually <laughs> seen the entirety of that. I've watched like a couple clips on YouTube. Funny enough, it's very similar to what we're doing here because the movie is one written by Sorkin. Um, two, it's told through the highlights of Steve's career. Um, so each each basically it's like four scenes similar to what I was pitching. Uh, it's like four scenes that start with the invention of the Apple II and uh, end with the iPod. So each time uh, each scene is basically just him. Um, yeah, the parts about seen, to go on. Parts I've seen on YouTube are when they're trying to get the Apple to talk during a product launch. Yeah. Says hello. Yeah, yeah. And then when he talks with Jeff Daniels, who he had been like partners with. Yeah, I've only seen. Oh no, no, no! I've seen uh, uh, when him and Seth Rogen are having a huge argument. Uh, yes, where he says thank, thank the, uh, thank the engineers, thank the Apple II team and the engineers. Uh, yes. and it's, it's not binary. You can be a good person and good at what Seth, you do. Seth Rogen was fantastic as Wozniak, and I gotta watch not, the whole thing. It's it's a good movie. It's I mean it's Sorkin. It's written beautifully. Uh, Fastbender's really good. I I I'm probably gonna get castrated for saying this. I actually thought Ashton uh, Ashton Kutcher was a better Steve Jobs in his movie than Fastbender was, uh-huh. um, at least look wise and mannerisms and stuff. But again. Yeah, they, they, that one. they they showcase how much of a fucking shithead Steve Jobs was. Yeah, you know, going back to when we did our uh, our pitch about Elizabeth Holmes, who yeah. uh, we should probably be expecting a verdict for this week. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I, I there's a thing that happens in in Silicon Valley in the tech industry that I've noticed where people try so hard to be Steve Jobs the character that yeah. they wind up becoming Steve Jobs the person. And it's and that's terrible. not a good thing. No, it's terrible. He was a very bad man, people. Do not idolize that guy. <laughs> I worked for Apple. They idolize him. <laughs> you shouldn't. He's not a good person. He was a very mean man. Give it 25 years, he'll be Walt Disney. Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, Wozniak is just this big teddy bear. And <laughs> <laughs> He's fine. He's a big teddy bear with a very nice house. <laughs> yeah. That's it. People are always like, oh, he got cheated out of Apple. It's like, yeah, man, he definitely lost a lot of money, but he's still a millionaire. He's yeah. still good. <laughs> Woz is fine. <laughs> I love Woz. He's awesome. Uh, and again, uh, Seth Rogen really did a good job. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's that's a good way to do it. We We basically use, I'm kind of picturing it that the green room is the center of a revolving stage. You know what oh, I mean? definitely. Yeah, we'd have to do that just to make the scenes work. So you have everything built up as a revolving stages. And obviously we do. I think we could do it as a faked one shot similar to Birdman. Oh, yeah, we could. We could. Funny enough, I know. I don't know if I told you, but I've been but I've been binging through. It's always sunny again. And I just got to the Charlie work episode where they do the one shot with the uh, health inspector. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. Oh, just do what I say, you damn bitch. Oh, you bitch. <laughs> Well, I you offered him a chicken sandwich because I thought he might like it. Why would you do that? Why would you offer him a turkey burger? Well, you, said, you said act like a restaurant. <laughs> yes, but we're not a restaurant, are we? Oh, you bitch. Oh, you bitch. <laughs> Just, uh, like so periodically good. thumping the, uh, the bar stool. The chair. It's so <laughs> genius. It's so good. It's really funny because like when you watch it on a high definition TV, especially, I mean, that was 2015. It, it wasn't long ago, but the shots, obviously, because the shots of the exterior of Patty's are filmed somewhere else. And obviously the interior is a set. Um, you can see the imposed the in from the outside shots. You can see they imposed the interior of the of the pub uh, through the door frame. Oh, and it looks okay. a little bit off when you look at it. It's really cool, actually. No, I had to check that out. Yeah, yeah we got we to gotta wrap up this podcast before we start talking about the entirety of pop culture. <laughs> we do. Or we just sit here and talk about 15 seasons of It's Always Sunny. There you go. <laughs> McElhenney just had a new interview. Did, did you watch Mythic Quest yet, by the way? I know yeah, we're I off topic. Mythic we're going to end Quest. Okay, Mythic Quest is fantastic. Um, everyone watch Mythic Quest. Um, and everything else we've recommended here in this episode. This is probably our longest episode. Um, ladies and gentlemen, everyone in between, thank you for joining us. This was a great one. Uh Rob Rob brought us home on this this pitch. Mine was a little too close to the article, so thank you, Rob. Um, this article, this pitch, will be uh, published today, so you'll be able to view it when you hear it, which is right now and as always. Um, but other than that, uh, stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy. 
2022 welcomes you. Um, rest in peace, Betty White. And uh, we hope you all enjoyed this episode and enjoy the future episodes to come as we near the milestone of episode 50. Anything else you want to say, Rob? No, just we love you all. I hope you had a great holiday season. And we're looking forward to uh, some improvements. Yeah. Well, I won't say better, but some improvements in 2022. <laughs> For the country and the podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you, everybody. Well, for the first time in 2022, I've been Rob. I've been Nick. And that's what we got. What Do You Got is recorded live at the Cape Swoosh Studios in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Our theme song was written and performed by Trevor Campbell. Additional music is provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. And our wonderful logo was designed by Gabby Vice. You can find her on Twitter at, at Gabby Vice. 